So we're continuing in um, our series looking at the Sermon on the Mount. And um, I hope you forgive me, but I've got another piece of art here um, for you uh, today to go with this. Um, When Jessamy, uh, my wife and I, um, were dating, I asked her to paint me a picture with the title, Ask. And the reason for this was because I'd been thinking about the verse in the book of James uh, 4.2, which said, you do not have because you do not ask God. So I was quite challenged by this and thought, I need a visual reminder to keep on asking God for things. So um, I asked her to do this painting. On reflection, I now realise how incredibly awkward it is to ask the girl that you're dating um, to do a painting titled Ask. Um, but anyway, this is, uh, this is what Jessamy did. She did this painting. And this is my nephew, Edward. Um, and Jess went across and, and took a photograph of uh, Edward and then uh, did this painting. Um, and he wrote, um, ask, and this sits in our house, reminding me to, uh, to ask God uh, for things. Um, because, of course, Jessamy was following in the footsteps of Jesus, who says in this passage to ask the Lord, to ask God uh, for things. So that might be, if you're visually minded, that might be a, a helpful thing for you. It was for a few people um, this morning. But before we get into this passage uh, today, which looks at two things, Jesus saying, don't judge, and Jesus saying, ask God. Let's just have a little think about some of the context. This is the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus is giving this to his disciples. And throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus um, is speaking about two different groups, two different kinds of ways, if you like. The first is the scribes and the Pharisees' way. The scribes and the Pharisees. And the Pharisees are this unofficial uh, Jewish uh, pressure group, um, if you like. Um, So that's one group. And the other group is the uh, disciples, the Jesus way, if you like. Now, in chapter uh, 5, Jesus contrasts the scribes and the Pharisees' way of observing uh, God's commandments, that of kind of external compliance, and the Jesus way of internal change, of inward change. Now, in chapter 6, we see that the Pharisees give to the poor, and they pray, and they fast. And why do they do it? They do it for acclaim, for applause, for reward. They feel superior, and they believe that that they've got this kind of leverage over God and over others because of their spiritual performance, don't they? And now here in chapter 7... We see Jesus warning against being judgmental and condemning and being quicker to give criticism than to take it. So the big contrast that we've got running through the Sermon on the Mount is these two groups, the scribes and the Pharisees and the disciples, both of which who give, both of which who pray, both of which who fast, but they do it for two deeply different reasons. The scribes and the Pharisees do it to get this kind of leverage over God and others, which leads to superiority, to pride, 
um, and to this inability to take criticism themselves and a way of observing the law which doesn't deliver inward change. And then you've got the, the disciples, the way of Jesus, which is where they're not to develop leverage and give it to God so that God owes us, but that God does something in Jesus for us so that we owe him. You see the difference? So this is the big contrast between trying to save yourself and allowing God in Jesus to save you. So there's something of the the context uh, to to which this um, Sermon of the Mount um, is being preached. Um, And we'll come back to this. But we'll now look at the first thing uh, that Jesus says, uh, which is, don't judge. Don't judge. Jesus is warning the disciples, don't be hypocritical in your judging of others. He says, don't mention the speck speck of sawdust in another follower's eye when you've got a plank in yours. It's quite a comical um, illustration, really, if you imagine having a plank in your eye. A building metaphor, which perhaps shouldn't surprise us, um, because, of course, Jesus was a carpenter. And being non-judgmental is easy to say, isn't it? But much harder uh, to do. And Jesus isn't warning against every kind of judging, every kind of kind of decision making. Exercising discernment in our lives is vital, isn't it? It's right to evaluate. Look at verse um, 6, when Jesus uses a metaphor. He says, do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs. Now, how are you supposed to know who the dogs and the pigs are? Unless you use discernment. Now the dogs and the pigs, by the way, uh, refer to the Gentiles. And it seems to be a warning to the followers to not try and explain the kingdom of God to people who won't even understand the Jewish world within uh, which it makes sense. He's kind of saying, hold off on that for the moment, that will come. And then later in a few verses, if you follow along, Jesus says this, Beware of the false prophets. Who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. So again, it's clear that Jesus thinks that we should discern. We should evaluate. We should do that. He's just saying, um, don't be hypocritically judgmental. It's okay if you're a magistrate, for example. That's okay. Just don't be uh, judging your fellow brother and sister. Now, why does Jesus say this, do you think? Well, the reason, I think, is because it's a way of playing God, isn't it? It's a way of playing God. When we, um, when we put ourselves as the ultimate judge, um, it, we begin to sort of play God. And Jesus says here, the measuring stick that we use for others will be used on us. It's that phrase, measure for measure, which, of course, Shakespeare uh, based the whole play on. And it makes me think, I don't know if it makes you think, but forward to that um, passage in in Romans uh, 14. A time where every believer will give account, give account for their life. A judgment that doesn't determine salvation, because that's by faith alone. alone. Um, But uh, it's the time where uh, believers are called to give an account. So let me illustrate uh, what Jesus is saying here with a little uh, story for you. 
there was a vicar's uh, wife in Sussex a few years ago who thought that her church had a, a bit of a problem uh, with judgmentalism. And many within the church were feeling judged on past relationships and failings of one sort or another. So she decided to write an article in the parish magazine, tackling this head on. Whilst explaining that everybody had done things of which they were not proud, she referred to the fact that many years prior, she herself had taken a job as a stripper. Now, it wasn't a good season in her life, and not a time that she thought back on fondly at all. But people should refrain from judging others, especially when they do not know the whole story, shouldn't they? Now, when this article was published, the community was incensed. Gossip about her spread like wildfire through the community, and she found people literally crossing the road um, in order to avoid her. Now, in the next parish uh, magazine, she said how horrible this had made her feel, um, and how this did, in fact, prove that there was a problem of judgmentalism in the church. Not least as because the whole um, context had not been understood or known. She had, in fact, been a chicken stripper for a pie company. Now, how do we apply this? How do we apply this? Well, what might the disciples have been judging each other on at the time? Perhaps the things that Jesus has been talking about um, in his sermon. Giving, fasting, praying, worrying. Have you ever thought, for example, I haven't seen uh, Richard fasting much, for example. Or haven't seen Tom turning up at the prayer uh, meeting. Or um, I think that that decimate at the back worries quite a lot. Have you ever done that? Ever thought that about one another within the church? I admit I have. So where might we be guilty of that as a church? And where might we need to uh, listen to Jesus' words which say, don't judge, don't judge one another? Okay, that's the first thing. Uh, The second thing that Jesus says in this passage is ask, seek, knock, ask, seek, knock. Now, if you don't know already, I'm not especially good um, at prayer. Um, Here is an example of the sort of thing that God has to put up with um, from me. I was going to be prayed for um, a few years back by a wonderful uh, chap called Stuart at his house. And when I arrived, um, a a woman came to sit uh, with him um, to pray for me as well. And I'd not met his wife before, so I thought this was great that she had um, joined us. At the end of the prayer time, which was great, I was feeling uh, very thankful about the fact they prayed for me. So um, I wanted to give a a brief prayer back to them. So um, I said, uh, I just prayed for blessing on them and for their relationship and for their ministry and etc, etc. And of course, when I opened my eyes, um, they were rather startled because uh, she wasn't his wife. Um, She was just on the prayer team. Um, so quite embarrassing and another good example not to jump to conclusions Um, and then after I reflected on this and I wondered about that prayer you know because if it's true that everyone who asks receives what might have happened 
Now the thing is with prayer, it's not be careful what you wish for, is it? It's not that kind of be careful what you wish for approach because we have an infinitely wise God who we raise these prayers to. C.S. Lewis said, um, if God had granted all the silly prayers that I've prayed in my life, where should I be now? I kind of relate uh, to that. The only thing I really got right in that moment was the motive. I prayed. I asked God. I did it. Ask, seek, knock, pray, go for it. That's what Jesus says here. Not just once, but continually. Why? Why should we do that? Well, it seems that God delights in our asking. He's pleased when we ask him for things. And the image given here is is that prayer is like a healthy parent-child relationship. If we ask for something that isn't right, God won't give it to us. You've probably heard the illustration before that if a couple of two-year-olds, for example, had picked up uh, carving knives because they wanted to have a sword fight, you hope a parent would step in and say, no. Not because they don't love the child, but because they do love the child. They know more than the two-year-old knows. And they know that that's not a good idea. So God only gives good gifts to those who ask. But there are at least a few problems uh, with this, aren't there? When asking for things in prayer. I was exploring this with some of the young people on on Friday evening as it happens. And the first would be, why should we ask God for things when he knows already what we want or what we need? To which the answer seems to be here, that he likes being asked. Most of the time, I say most of the time, parents love children to ask them for things that they already know that they need because the process of asking and giving deepens the relationship. The same with God. The second is the, the question which goes something like this. Um, I shouldn't bother God with the petty details of my life. Um, there are much bigger issues in the world that he needs to be taking care of. Understandable. But we mustn't miss the Abba heart of God. Father God. In one sense, there is nothing more important to God than the anxiety that one might feel when searching for a job or when pregnant or the exhaustion one might feel from childcare or the desperation we might feel from the lack of control uh, when you have an ill parent. These things matter to God. It's a false humility to not share our deepest needs with our Father in heaven. In the same way, parents long for children to share the minute details of their life with them. So God longs to hear from us. You know, the Baptist uh, preacher uh, Spurgeon, he said this, Whether we like it or not, asking is the rule of the kingdom. Whether we like it or not, asking is the rule of the kingdom. But there's one bigger problem with prayer and asking for things is unanswered prayer. And we've got to mention this, I think, when we're talking about prayer. It's something that came up in our Alpha group on, on Wednesday. And there's no quick and or glib answer to this question, is there? I don't really know when I prayed earnestly for my uncle as a young person uh, why God didn't bring healing to him when he was dying of cancer. 
And we don't have a huge amount of time to go into uh, much depth here, but the reality of it needs to be mentioned. But what we can say is, and that sometimes is of comfort, is that God himself came in the person of Jesus Christ and in the darkness of Gethsemane took the weight of all the unanswered prayer onto himself and in that moment of greatest agony shared our confusion and asked why. Remember the accounts of Jesus on the cross. Why have you forsaken me? God in Jesus identifies fully with that question yet at the same time is doing something to change the situation for he quotes psalm 22 doesn't he and if we read on listen to some of the things that psalm 22 says for he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one he has not hidden his face from him but has listened to his cry for help Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring it to a people yet unborn. He has done it. In that very moment, God in Christ did something to bring about the start of the renewal of the world. Towards that trajectory when all things will be well and healed. Okay, so how do we apply this to our lives? The late Cambridge professor, Herbert Farmer, said this, if prayer is the heart of religion, then petition is the heart of prayer. It's the staple diet, if you like, of prayer, petition, asking God for things. God delights in it. God's not Santa Claus, but we do need to ask him for things. So I wonder what you might be holding back from asking God at the moment. I wonder if you might feel you're able to ask him for that today. I wonder what the thing you might have been asking God for year after year or continuously for quite some time. I've been praying for my, uh, one of my brothers um, to find a new job for six years. And uh, during that period, uh, our prayers for him have waned considerably at times. And, and then a few weeks ago, uh, we had, for some reason, a renewed energy for prayer. And we asked our small group to join us in prayer as well. And uh, just uh, last week, he uh, landed uh, a brilliant job. Um, and we praise God for that. Um, like William Temple said, when I pray, coincidences happen. And when I don't, they don't. Can I encourage us? Jesus is encouraging us to keep on keeping on, to keep praying, keep trusting. But let's just recall the context as we begin to draw to a a close. The, The danger here is always to go the way of the Pharisees, to do the stuff, to pray, to fast, to give, to not worry, thinking that if we can do that right, we can influence God. And the Jesus way, is different. It's where we don't develop some kind of leverage to earn things with God. But we know that God in Christ has done something for us that we hold on to, that we grasp onto. We don't owe him. We don't he doesn't owe us, we owe him. This is grace, isn't it? 
But more than that, that Jesus is transforming our lives as we uh, pray, as we grow into his likeness. So finally, as we come to a close, how do we live this out? It's all very well, but how do we actually live all this out today? Well, it's interesting. There's this parallel version um, in Luke's gospel that I think helps us. Because Matthew says the Father will give good gifts. And Luke tells us the good gift is the Holy Spirit. Jesus' fulfillment of the law allowed the Holy Spirit to be released at Pentecost, didn't it? Everyone who asks, seeks and knocks will have the door of Jesus open to them. And as they do, the good gift of the Holy Spirit will be released into their hearts for transformation. Isn't that extraordinary? Isn't it extraordinary that the disciples are the light to the world because they've got God's presence in them? Isn't it amazing today that we are, um, we're, the way we're going to see God's kingdom come is that God has put his spirit in us. I just think it's extraordinary that people might see God when they look at us. <laughs> well, particularly when they look at me. So we must ask for a daily filling of God's power, empowering presence to be in our lives. So as we close, we live in the kingdom with a single-minded trust in our Father God. We've got this returning judge, Jesus Christ, who has defeated sin, death and evil on the cross and is making all things new. We've got the Holy Spirit here with us to empower us to live the life we're called to. And may we remember that golden rule that Jesus gave us. To do to others what we would have them do to us. And keep asking our Lord in heaven for his blessing and grace. So that we might be a people of blessing to others. So we pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the good news of Jesus, for his teaching, which has never been beaten, for his life, death, and resurrection. We pray that you would give us what we need for today. We pray that when we ask in ignorance for things, that things that would be destructive for us, don't give them to us, Lord. We pray that you keep us from being hypocritical. We pray that you'd give us courage to seek forgiveness from one another. We pray that we would receive your spirit daily. That we might have the power to live lives of blessing in the places that you've put us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.